This message was recorded at the Cross United Church Outdoor Drive-In Service, so audio quality will be a little bit different than usual. If you want to find out more about our church, check us out at Cross United SFL on social media or crossunited.org. Can you hear me? Yes? Okay, thank you. All right, it's so weird because out here you can't hear anything, but in the car it sounds great. I was sitting in there with Laura. Can we give a few honks and a high beam? Uh, shout out to all the folks who were serving for setup. Can we give a little honk? It was hot. It's hot, but hopefully uh, you're enjoying your air-conditioned vehicle. Uh, So glad you are here to worship with us this morning. Uh, If you have never met me, my name is Danny. I'm the pastor here at Cross United Church. We are a new church here in this part of South Florida that has been going now for about 18 months. And we, we started this new church to help people like you and like me find life like God intended. And we believe life like God intended happens when we're brought to God in wholehearted worship and brought together in authentic community through the cross of Jesus Christ and when we're sent out on the joyful mission and purpose that God has for us in the world. So we're going to be this morning looking in our scripture study uh, at John chapter 8 and John 8 verses 52 through 56. And so if you have your Bible or an app, I want to encourage you to turn or tap over to John 8, 52 through 56. And uh, while you're doing that, I'm going to pray over us and pray over the word and just ask for God's help. Father, I just ask that you would speak uh, through me as I seek to um, just explain what you've said and uh, that you would meet this moment with your spirit's power and uh, meet each person exactly where they are and what they need. And uh, some, some folks are in a really difficult season of loneliness or illness. Some have uh, small kids, maybe small kids in the car that are driving them crazy. Some uh, are just wondering what's the next step now that uh, business or work has changed or, or evaporated. Lord, I pray you would meet us in this moment by your word and your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so car worship's a little different. Uh, Drive-in's a little different. If I say something that's pretty good, I want you to flash your high beams. If I say something that's really good, I want you to give a holy honking amen, okay? So uh, that I can just know you're, you're engaging. I, there's a lot of glare on the windshields. I can't see, I can't see you. Um, I, I you know, know you're in there, though. Um, and so grateful for you to join joining us this morning. John 8, 52 through 56. Um, And we're going to be talking this morning about the challenge of knowing. We're talking about seven challenges of authentic faith. The challenge of knowing. Um, When I was younger, I'm uh, not particularly proud of this. I'm not particularly ashamed of it, but it just kind of was what it was. There was a stage where I wanted to be a cowboy. And uh, I had a good friend who was really into country music and would wear, you know, Wrangler jeans and, and cowboy hats. And I just, he was, he was a little older than me. I thought he was cool. I wanted to be like him. And so at his stage, I would wear cowboy shirts and I would wear bolo ties and uh, I would uh, not wear super tight jeans. I just didn't quite have the, the, the you know, the figure for that. And uh, I would listen to a lot of country music. I would listen to a lot of country music. And uh, the best thing about country music, as you know, is that when you play it backwards, you get your house back, you get your girl back, you get your truck back, and you get your dog back. 
because uh, so much about country music, uh, so much of country music are songs of lament and loss. And, and they really tap into something deep uh, in our hearts and minds. And there's one song in particular in that season that always really stuck out to me and, and a song I, I really, you know, just met me in a deep kind of emotional place in my 14-year-old teenage angst. Uh, and it was this song about this guy who had fallen in love with a girl. And, uh, and the song's all about how he knew all about this girl. He knew all about her hair and the color of her eyes and where she was born, when she was born, her favorite song, her favorite books, her favorite music, her, her, her favorite clothing, her favorite kind of car. Uh, but the song is all about how he knew all these things, but he missed what was most important. And there's a, there's a line there uh, in one of the verses that says, he says, I know I missed the forest for the trees, and all I have to show when she walked out the door was cold facts and nothing more. And, uh, and, and, and this, this guy is just lamenting how he knew all of these facts about this girl, but he didn't pay any attention to what was most important and what mattered most. And I honestly think that in our relationship with God, that we're often that way. We're like Jesus' conversation partners here in Acts, or excuse me, John chapter 8. We're like this group of people who, who express maybe an initial interest, or an, and they've expressed this initial profession of faith in Jesus. But as they converse, and as they talk with Jesus, and as they dialogue, what, what's, what surfaces is that their faith is artificial faith and not authentic faith. Um, they know the facts. They know her hair, her eyes, her books, her car, her clothes, but they don't pay any attention to what matters most. Um, we're in this mini-series in John 8 called The Seven Challenges of Authentic Faith, and this is the second to last, the sixth challenge, the challenge of knowing. And, and what I want to just ask you this morning, in light of what we're going to read here in just a second, is do you truly know God? Do you truly know God? Are you paying attention to what matters the most? Look at John 8, 52. Jesus has just told them, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, in John 8, 51. And then the Jews said, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death or taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you claim to be? Jesus answered, said, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. My father about whom you say he is our God, he is the one who glorifies me. You don't know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. See, these folks, these hearers, they thought they knew. They thought they knew. They thought they knew God. And, and this word, in, in, the, in the book of John, John uses this word know a lot. He, he uses it 140 times in, in one of two forms. 
And in, in John, it's never a, a noun. It's never knowledge, like a thing. It's always know, a verb, an action. Jo John is just captivated by the reality of actively leaning into knowing the God who's shown himself to us in Jesus Christ. Same way with the word faith. The word faith never appears as a noun, as faith. It always appears as a verb, belief. Because for John, being a Christian is not just about churchianity. It's not just about some sort of accumulation of knowledge or facts. It's about a personal faith and personal knowledge. It's about believing and knowing God himself. John is so captivated by these things, he can't even conceive of faith like a, like a trophy that he puts up on a shelf or knowledge like an accumulation in a, in a library. Now those things, they're not necessarily bad. Faith and knowledge are, are things that we should be glad uh, are displayed in our lives. But if they're only like a trophy on the trophy case or like a, a library of knowledge that we've accumulated, then we're missing the point. Now, I've, I've warned you before, whenever I make a pop culture reference, it in no way, shape, or form constitutes an endorsement of that pop culture reference, all right? So just, that's a caveat across the board, because that's always true. So what, anyway, this is not an endorsement of this movie, but if you have seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, there's this scene in the movie where Ferris's best friend Cameron's dad has this 1960 or 59, 60, I can't remember the exact year, but it's a Ferrari 250 GT California. And, and I looked it up. Today, that car is worth like $15 million. So that's a really valuable car. 35 years ago, it was valuable, but not nearly as valuable as it is now. It's this rare classic that Cameron's dad, Ferris Bueller's best friend's dad, treasures above anything else. And he never drives it. And, and Ferris, you know, they're ditching school. They're coming up with this elaborate plan to get out of going to school. And he goes in the garage and... Uh, and, and Cameron says, Ferris, my father loves this car more than life itself. And he, he never drives it. He just rubs it with a diaper. And Ferris's counter-protest is that a man with his priorities so far out of whack doesn't deserve such a fine automobile. Because the point of a car and why Enzo Ferrari designed the 250 GT was so that people could drive it and enjoy it not just display it like a trophy in a manicured garage. Now, do people see this, this car, they, they end up taking the car, and it's like a really bad life lesson and all that. So again, I'm not endorsing the movie. But what, what the point there is, is true, and the point is, is that people do admire it as a beautiful car, but it's intended to be admired in the course of being used like the maker intended. In the same way, God wants us to have faith he wants us to have knowledge, but he wants those things to be displayed in the course of our actively trusting and knowing him personally. 
He doesn't want us to just stack up these things like these are the Bible studies I've done and this is the degree that I've earned and this is the faith that I have. He wants us to be showing those things in the midst of our daily lives where our faith in Him, our trust in Him, and our knowledge of Him make a difference in how we actually live. The object of faith and knowledge, they're, they're, they're worth admiring and they're beautiful. But they're worth admiring and beautiful in the same way that that Ferrari GT is beautiful as it's driving down the road because it's being used how the maker intended for it to be made. These, these folks, these folks, they're, they're confident in what they think they know. Look at how they say in verse 52. Now we know, now we know you have a demon. Last week we talked about how they, they say, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? And here we say, and now we know. So they, they, they've got this framework, this categorization of how things are and how God is based on what God has said. Now that's a good thing in, you know, in and of itself to know who God is based on what God said. If you, if you want to know God, you got to get into what God said. What God has said is found in the Christian Bible. But the point is, is not that you just accumulate knowledge of cold facts, but that you have an active faith and not knowing of God through that knowledge that you've accumulated. There's nothing beneficial about accumulating knowledge if it doesn't change the way you actually live your life. So this is how the hearers thought. They thought Abraham was great, the prophets were great, Abraham and the prophets died. Anyone claiming to have power over death like Jesus was claiming superiority over Abraham and the prophets. There's no way anyone's greater than Abraham, therefore this guy is nuts. That's what a, demon, a charge of demon possession amounted to, a charge of insanity. What they don't they have a category for knowing the Bible, but they don't have a category for God actually showing up in their life in that moment. It reminds me of the story of Zechariah in the beginning of Luke, the, the father of John the Baptist. And his wife, he and his wife, they've been praying for a kid for a really long time. And, and God had never answered. And they'd come to the point of resigning themselves to the fact that God was never going to give them a child. And, and Zechariah, he was a priest. He was like, he was like a religious elite. He was, he was someone who knew all of the stories of the Bible. And he believed them with all of his heart. But he believed them as historical artifacts, not as present possibilities. And so this angel, Gabriel, shows up to Zechariah and says, Hey, you're going to have a son. Your wife's going to get pregnant. And he's going to be actually the prophet who paves the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah is like, that's not possible. Zechariah goes, how can this happen? I'm too old. My wife's too old. The time has passed. The angel then strikes him mute and says, you can't, you're not going to be able to physically talk until your child is born because you didn't believe what God has said. See, Zechariah, he believed with all of his heart the truth of the Bible, but he didn't believe that it was a present reality in his own life. And some of you, you are tempted, like I am, to have this sort of 
orthodox belief. Like you believe the right things. You believe in the Bible. You believe in Jesus. You believe in the Trinity. You believe the Bible is the Word of God. You believe the things it says even when it's hard to understand. And maybe you live a, a, a faithful life. You obey God. And those things are good things. But if you're right and faithful belief and your right and faithful actions aren't met with faithful affections and personal engagement with God, then you're missing it like these hearers were missing it. We are called not just to faith and knowledge, but to believe and to personally know God intimately. What are some ways we get sidetracked? Well, there are religious ways. We mistake accumulation of biblical knowledge for knowing God himself. Um, now, I, I've dedicated my life to accumulating biblical knowledge. I've got pieces of paper proving that a school somewhere has, has accredited that I have gained a certain amount of biblical knowledge. I just finished another degree in May and and am grateful for that. So the problem is not, and I don't, I'm not saying that accumulating knowledge is bad. The point is, it's not the end game. Accumulating knowledge is, is, is designed to serve our believing and knowing God personally. I'm reading a, a book on revival um, by a guy named uh, Richard Loveless, and uh, it's called Dynamics of Spiritual Life. And uh, he talks about the Holy Spirit, and he says, Everywhere Christians, even where Christians know about the Holy Spirit doctrinally, they have not necessarily made a deliberate point of getting to know him personally. And I think that applies to the Holy Spirit. It also applies to God, the Trinity, the Father, and the Son as well. We can know facts without knowing him personally. We can know the books, the car, the clothes, but pay no attention to what matters most. Religious knowledge can get in the way of our personal knowing of God. We can be sidetracked by religious knowledge. We can be sidetracked by the media. Um, TV, Netflix, internet, social media streams. We've, we've sort of like personally cultivated our own knowledge of the world. We follow things and we don't follow other things. We watch some things, we don't watch other things. And what we've done is we've created these echo chambers that reinforce what we already think. And so when something comes in that doesn't align with that, we think, well, there's no way that can be true because it doesn't align with my preconceptions. That's what these heroes had done. They put all of their knowledge of God, ordered it ni nicely, and when Jesus comes in and says something that doesn't fit in, they say, you're nuts, instead of wondering, could this be the Messiah? Religious knowledge, social media knowledge, sometimes just our own experience. Our, we can begin to talk about truth as a private and personal possession. Someone just needs to live her or her, his truth. I live my truth. And what we mean by that is my experience and my opinion. Now, having experiences and opinions is fine. But you can't mistake or confuse your opinions and your experiences for objective reality. Objective reality is what it is. And when we begin 
to put our experience and our opinions above what God has said, we're beginning to fall into the same trap that these heroes of Jesus had fallen into. One of my pastor friends and I were texting the other day, and he said, honestly, most of my problems are that my feelings don't match God's word. That's so true, isn't it? Our feelings don't match God's word. And we go by our feelings instead of the facts of our faith. So what's your tendency? I don't know, maybe you're a religious knowledge nut like I am, and you like, you like learning stuff about the Bible. That's good, but it's, it's not the end game. The end game is knowing God personally. Maybe you're super into like social media or whatever your preferred like source of, of information is and, and you love you know that that thing, that, 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 that you know that engagement on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Maybe you're you're just sort of saturated by your own opinions and your own experience. Have you put those things in place of personally knowing God? What these folks had done is they had replaced personally knowing God with religious knowledge of God. And so they ask him this question. There's no way that you're greater than Abraham. Abraham was the greatest hero of the Old Testament. The man God had called and promised to make a great nation. Abraham, the man of faith. There was nobody in biblical history who was better than Abraham. And so who does this guy standing before them think he is? There's no way, they say, that you're better than Abraham. They think they know, but they really have no idea. They think they know, but they have no idea. If you're taking notes, point number one was you think you know, and point number two is, but you have no idea. Or you can phrase it as a question, but do you have any idea? These folks say they know God, but what they don't understand is you can't know God if you don't know Jesus. You cannot know God if you don't know Jesus. Jesus says that he is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He says, I know God, my Father. And he says in verse 54, you say he is our God. Notice that. The person they called God, Jesus calls Father. What is that significance of that? Well, God is not actually a proper name. God is a title. God is a title, much like the president has a name, but his title is president. So someone calls the president Mr. President, it's because they're referring to him by a title. But people who have an intimate knowledge and relationship with the president will call him by a personal name. In the same way, these folks, they knew God as a title, but they had forgotten that God was a person, a person to know, and that God has a name. In the Old Testament, God revealed his name was Yahweh. In your, in your English translation in the Old Testament, you'll see it, Lord, all capitals. That's how you know it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. And you wonder, why is it translated as Lord? That's kind of weird. Well, it's translated Lord because the Jewish people so revered the name Yahweh that they refused to pronounce it or, and refused to say it. And when they would read it in the text, they would substitute a different word, the word Adonai, which just is a general term for Lord or Sir or Master. And it became so ingrained that people began to say Lord instead of Yahweh. 
they began to use a title instead of a name. And so these folks, they know God is a title, but they don't know his name. They don't have a personal relationship with him. Jesus is different. Who they call God, he calls Father. And what Jesus came to do, what Jesus came to do is to give us access to his relationship with the Father. So that he is not merely God as a title, an impersonal being somewhere out there, but Father. Our Father, Jesus taught us to pray in heaven. Jesus came and he lived a life on earth and he lived a life without sin. He never did anything the Father said he shouldn't do and he always did what the Father told him he should do. He obeyed perfectly in what he said, what he did, and in what he thought and what he felt. That's really different than us. Even when we behave well, our internal desires and feelings can go wonky all the time. Even when I don't feel that you're working. Well, Jesus never even felt the wrong way about what God was doing. And he lived this perfect, sinless life. And he gave his life. And he offered his life as a sacrifice for sin. And that's the significance of the cross. The reason Christianity is about the cross is because what Jesus did is he gave his life to be crucified. And they drove nails through his wrists and his ankles and they hung him up and executed him. Because the Bible says that the payment for sin is death. That anyone who sins deserves to die. But that Jesus died so that anyone who will turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus and ask him for forgiveness and new life will be forgiven of their sin and given eternal life. And he was buried, and then on the third day, he rose from the dead. This is what Jesus says. He says, the Father glorifies me. It's the nature of a father to want to glorify the son. But what's surprising is the way that the father glorified the son was by putting his son on the cross so that we could be made children of God. The incarnate son doesn't only defer to the Father's glory, but he actually submits to the cross itself. They're trying to dismiss Jesus' claims by saying they know the Scripture, they know the story of Abraham. There's no way Jesus could be anything close to what he's claiming to be. But the problem is, it's not that they had knowledge of the Bible. The problem isn't that they had knowledge of God. The problem is they didn't truly and personally know God. They needed faithful teaching or orthodoxy, faithful action or orthopraxy, and faithful feelings or affections, orthopathy. They needed to truly know, live, and love God personally. This is the ultimate goal of Christianity. To have a personal relationship with God as our Father. Some, some of us had really good fathers. Some of us had great dads. We just honored last Sunday. Some of us, we, we had fathers who maybe were absent or even worse. I don't know what you think of when you think of father. But if you had a great father, God the Father is better than your best thought about him. And if you had a terrible father, God the Father is greater and loves you more than you could even imagine because he gave his son Jesus to make you his child again. You've been separated from him because of your sin. 
and he wants to bring you back to him. Jesus demonstrates that there's something disconnected in their heart. There's something that's not right. This morning we were trying to get all the sound stuff working and we were having difficulty getting it to work. And I finally realized that what the problem was is the battery pack in the, in the wireless microphone, the batteries were dead. So we replaced the batteries and everything started working. There's something misfiring for these hearers. They've got all the equipment set up, but there's no power there. Some of you, you've got everything set up, but there's no power. And you need the Holy Spirit of God to come into your life through faith in Jesus Christ. To know God personally, by His name, my Father, in Christ, by the Spirit. Jesus says that these hearers, He says they don't know Him. They have knowledge about the Bible, but they don't know God. But He knows Him. And He says, if I were to say I don't know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him and I keep His word. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. They're claiming to have knowledge of the Bible and knowledge of Abraham. And Jesus is like, yo, I know Abraham. I was with Abraham. I talked to Abraham. And Abraham talked to me. And Abraham was given prophetic insight into what was going to happen. And he was filled with gladness. His heart was bursting with gladness about what God was going to do through his offspring. Jesus said, you can't appeal to Abraham. I know Abraham. I made Abraham. And as we're going to see next week, I am the God who Abraham worshipped. They thought they they knew, but they had no idea. And I just want to ask you, you may think you know, but do you really have any idea? Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says... The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong person in their strength. The wealthy should not boast in their wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he knows me. That she knows me. That I am the Lord Yahweh showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness. These are the things we value, aren't they? Being smart, being strong, and being rich. If you look at a survey of what people think are valuable in the world, you would say this person is smart, they're strong, and they're rich. Everybody would assume that that is a great life that that person is living. You know, we talk a lot here about the killer bees. The killer bees, the, the things people find value in. Birthday parties, ball games, brunches, boats. These things, they're not bad in and of themselves. But if they take the place of knowing God personally, then they're actually worse than than anything else you could imagine. Because knowing God personally is the most valuable way to spend your life. To know God, to know Christ, to turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus. So I just want to leave you with one question. Do you know him? He's ready anytime you are. Let's pray together. Father, I just...
um, thank you that I can call you Father. Lord, um, we don't even think about that. I mean, sometimes as, as Christians, we just say Father. And it's almost like a space filler word. But we don't know the ma- the magnitude of that we get to call you Father because we are brought into relation with Jesus, your Son. Abba, Father, would you meet us in this moment? Would you help us to know you personally? Not to show our knowledge of you like a trophy on a wall or like a Ferrari we never drive, but to get out and get the wind of faith and adventure in our hair. That we would be all out to know you and live like life like you intended us to live. Lord, I just pray you would give us the grace to turn from our sin and to trust in you. Lord, that's how we enter a relationship with you, and that's how we continue in relationship with you. And so whether, Lord, for the first time or the 1,000th time, we say, Lord, will you forgive us of our sins? We love you and we trust you, and we want to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.